Hello and welcome to another episode of We Have Such Films to Show You. This is episode 47 where we're talking about uh, the 1987 Joel Schumacher directed, uh, Richard Donner produced film The Lost Boys with Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Patrick and both of the Corys. Yep. And, uh, Apparently they were in seven movies together. Yeah, that, there was a, that was a whole thing for a while. I'm, I'm Josh Millard, by the way. I'm Yakov. And, uh, yeah, no, that I... Yeah, okay, so so let me let me just... You know I, I hate being overly negative uh, about stuff, but uh, I did not like this film. This was a bad film that was stupid, <laughs> and I didn't like it. It was a bad movie made badly by bad people. I was, oh. It's kind of my takeaway on it. I enjoyed you feel it, about it so much. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Um, I wish I had seen it when I was 14. Yeah. Because I think that is like the target age of this movie is like between 14 and like 17, I think. Yeah, I think I think I would have enjoyed it a lot better when I was younger and stupider and couldn't tell how bad movies were when I watched them, basically. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm being kind of silly here, but, but really, I, I, I feel like sometimes I watch a movie and I really try and sort of make an effort to, you know, come out with a positive sort of read on it, even if I'm not totally digging it. But I really, I don't feel obliged to make the effort in this case on this one. It really seems like a stinker. It seems like a, a movie that, that is not good. Really, I just, I, I cannot disagree more. I was just, I, I stopped taking notes halfway through the movie because I was just like I just want to sit back and enjoy the ride yeah, um, I, I think I should have had like a couple more drinks or something maybe <laughs> maybe that would have made a difference for me but I don't know well okay so so here's the thing I, I don't think there's nothing good in this movie and that's almost that, that that's almost the, the worst part is like I feel like they probably could have gotten a better sort of screwball vampire comedy out of this they probably could have gotten a better, somewhat more serious, emo, late-teen, uh, coming-of-age story out of this. They probably could have even gotten a better, you know, divorced single mom trying to raise a couple kids and deal with a weird situation movie out of this. But I feel like they took all three and then just sort of threw them into an industrial thresher <laughs> and glued what came together out on the other side and said, oh, yeah, no, this is a movie. This is a movie. And then I know a lot of people like this movie. So, like, I'm, I, I, I want to acknowledge that I know, oh, this is a terrible movie that no one should like. is not the mainstream reaction to it. I know a lot of people <laughs> love this movie. I even had a sort of vague fondness for it in abstract, having seen maybe a third of it all told in pieces over the years and thinking that maybe those were pieces of a slightly better film. But, uh, but yeah, it just really – it feels like a mess. It doesn't know what it wants to be, and so all the things it does just sort of whiplash around and contradict each other. And, and, it, and it I just don't makes... disagree with that at all. Um, I, I, I think – yeah, I think the movie is a, a, a complete mess and um, like sort of ventures into like is territory at points. It's just like is this – is this like magic realist vampires, or is this like what? What is going on? Yeah. Like, wh- who made this vampire comic book? That's a training manual. Did these two kids make it? Is it you know? It, it there's just like all sorts of like little stuff in this movie that that makes just not a lick of sense. Yes. Um. But you know, I I, I think that that's part of the fun, just because it's. It, it, it's a product of its time, and I guess its time in my but my conception of the '80s is just an incomprehensible mess. So. Sure, you know, if this had been made 
now as an 80s period piece and just a little bit more well done, I would say it was a fantastic sort of homage, pastiche parody of goofy 80s movies. And in that sense, it would have worked great. But knowing that it just is literally a product of its time, here, okay, let, let, uh, here, here's my best attempt at being conciliatory. I stand by the argument that this is a bad movie. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to watch. Like, I think if you want to sit down and watch a goofy mess of a movie, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with it in that sense. It is it's definitely, like, it's more got, fun than other not-horror things we watched, like yes. I, Frankenstein. Yes. No, no. I, I and It's, yeah. Oh, God. That's, see, that's a really difficult... Because I don't want to watch either of them, but for different reasons. It's an interesting <laughs> thing. Like, it's... But, yeah. It, it definitely... It has... It's at least trying to be fun, it, it's not consistent enough about trying to be fun to really make the trying to be a funny, goofy movie thing work. But at least, you know, it's making that effort there. Um, I guess another thing here is I really just... I Several times in my notes, I mentioned wanting to punch Corey Haim in the face. And, and that made Hang me on, which of. one's Corey Haim and which one's Corey Feldman? Uh, Corey Haim is the even worse one. He's the, he's the little brother. Okay, Corey Haim is the is the, the, the Zach Morris type. Yeah, and Corey Corey Feldman is the uh, micro Rambo. Okay, because this is this is the second movie I have spent thinking Corey Feldman was <laughs> a different guy than the guy that he was. Uh, who did I, I? I thought the the I thought Jason Patrick was one of the Coreys because I just it's been so long that I, ah. since I've seen either of them. In a, in, a, in a movie at a recognizable age that I was just like, oh, it's they're probably the brothers. Didn't know. Jason Patrick's the older brother. And then so you're saying Corey Haim is the little brother. Yes. And then uh, one of the two frog boys is Corey Feldman, who was also in, uh, what the hell did we watch with him? Friday the 13th Part 4? Was it Part uh, 4 that we watched? Does yeah, it matter? Maybe, yeah. yeah. Felt, so yeah, he was in something. Yeah. Uh, but yes, he's one of Edgar and Allen. Edgar and Allen Frog. Yeah, which I. There's, you I, know, the, the, did they have like the, the in the comic book store? They they kept like panning to these two passed out hippies. Were those supposed to be their parents? Maybe I don't know. This this film this film let out a lot of line that it never reeled in, <laughs> and not even like I didn't even feel hopeful for most of it. Like like I. I for whatever reason, I went in a little bit cynically because I was kind of—I I didn't write it off from the start. I really didn't expect it to be as fucking annoying to me as it turned out to be. But I, I wasn't going on with high expectations because I, I knew I was watching sort of like you know an '80s sort of slightly not postmodern exactly, but sort of slightly self-aware vampire movie. Um, and you know, assuming with the Corys in it, it would probably you know not be like totally serious face drama or anything. But but yeah, it's I. I Pretty early on, I started thinking, I wonder if they'll come back to that. And pretty quickly, I started thinking, no, they probably they won't. And they don't. They, they drop a lot of little things that they could have done something with, but then don't do a whole lot of with. Or when they do do something with it, it's so abrupt and ham-handed that it almost doesn't count. Uh, we see we see Grandpa at one point. This is just jumping to a random example. Some, some point in like the second act, I want to say, somewhere between the second and the third act, Grandpa is seen putting a post in the ground out on his property. Oh, the yeah. Post in this case happens to be an eight-foot-tall, like, six-inch d- diameter wooden stake, which, I mean, at this point, we're really, really far into, yes, this is a explicitly a vampire situation thing in the film, if there was any doubt somehow. Uh, 
and there's a giant steak. And then later there is a scene right at the end with Grandpa and some wooden steaks of a different size as far as I could tell, just sitting on top of a car that he drives through the wall of his own house to kill some vampires. And, and, and that's, that's fine and all, but like even that, that, that was the entire connection between those two scenes. We get no explanation for why he has this thing. We have no explanation whatsoever for why he's putting it in the ground <laughs> if he's just preparing it for his murder vehicle for the third act. You know, it's like if you're going to put that in the ground, someone needs to fall on that fucking thing. That's that's how you fucking visually direct that thing if you're not going to bring it back any point before that. You know, I'm thinking the hand that rocks the cradle. Spoiler alert for the hand that rocks the cradle. Uh, you know, if you're going to focus on the pointy thing in the ground, something falls on the pointy thing. You don't say, oh, and I had some more of those pointy things sitting around, by the way. Hello, the movie's over. You know, it's like, uh, it, the whole film feels like it's that. <laughs> like, you know, it's either that or it's like, here, I've got a sharp thing I'm going to put in the ground that will never return. Like, like, Anton Chekhov probably would have hated this movie as much as I did. You know, it's like, it's just like, it's, it's one. And they're not even red herrings. It's not like interesting, oh, I wonder if that's where they're going. It's more like, well, they, they, they devoted some camera work to it. They put it on the screen. The visual direction says, hey, here's something worth noticing. Who fucking knows if they're even going to come back to it? You know, and it's like a, and maybe this is me trying to take this movie too seriously as part of it. I mean, probably it is. You know, there's the 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 defensive. Well, it's just a goofy movie. Gets around a lot of this, I'm sure. But at the same time, it's it's a shitty goofy movie as far as like you know, so much that film craft that it's a, goes. It, it's a goofy movie. It's that I don't think Joel Schumacher is capable of directing a movie that isn't in this, like, weird campy tone. Yes, but then why give this to Joel Sch- I mean, okay, so here's the thing. Like, like, like Richard Donner produces thing. He can make movies. Why not let him make this movie? <laughs> I got excited. I was like, oh, I had no idea this was Richard. Oh, producer. Executive I think, producer. W- where did I read that, like, Joel Schumacher, like, saw this and then changed the change the, you know, all of the characters to teenagers because it would be more fun and sexier. From... It was, uh, from, I think it was, a, I mean, it must have been adults, right? Or younger uh, kids. I, I mean, I, lots I of boys. I got of this thing I read. Yeah. Um, oh, and Alex Winter is in this. Who's that? Oh, yes, yes, uh, Bill S. Preston X. Esquire. I couldn't remember his name. But I was like, hey, it's Bill! Sweet! And then they do nothing with him. I mean, they do pretty much nothing with that whole I mean, he of... gets stabbed and releases way too much fluid. Well, there's that. But that seems to be a recurring theme in the film, too, because later with the vampire murdered in the garlic bulb holy water bathtub, that somehow causes, like, all of the plumbing in the house to explode with geysers of, is it blood? I'm not sure. It was really dark and brown. Yeah. Um, could have been blood. Could have been, been poop. Uh, poop. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, Joel Schumacher, like, Flatliners is kind of of a piece of this, but I like Flatliners more, but I should probably watch it again and try and be honest about how much... Because I feel like... I think maybe Flatliners is a film this would have been if they'd left the Corys out and just gone to the slightly more serious, older teen sort of vampire drama sociological thing. I think Uh, that movie made in 1987 would have been worse than this movie. You think? Yeah, if it was just straight up like, you know, teens having a, a difficult time in 1987 and it wasn't directed by, um, oh crap, who am I thinking of? The guy that directed all those movies that are good from the 1980s about <laughs> teens. John Hughes. Uh, uh, John Hughes. Well, yeah. wait, 
Oh, yeah. Are you saying if it was directed by John Hughes or if it wasn't? I, I think if John Hughes had directed a coming-of-age teen vampire drama starring uh, Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland, it maybe would have been good. If anybody else did it, it would have been awful. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, well, I'd, see, I don't know. Yeah, have Worse seen, than this. Have you it would have been worse than this. Have you seen Flatliners? Maybe I don't think so. You should watch it sometime. I don't know familiar. if we need to do it because I'm not sure. Me saying I hate this movie so much. Let's watch a similar film <laughs> from the same period by the same director is the best way to go. But but it. Like, I, I remember. Mean, like, being, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm down on Joel Schumacher because uh, Batman Forever is my favorite of like the Batman I'm quadrilogy. Gonna, I'm gonna have to try rewatching those later films sometime and see if Batman I can and Robin a is better opinion, is. But. is borderline unwatchable um you know i i tried the only time i had ever had fun watching batman and robin and i've seen it like four or five times um is when i was in a club and i was there to see a band and the opening band was there and the opening band were not great but there was a television that was muted because of you know the music showing batman and robin and then that 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 was pretty good um, but no, Batman Forever. I I I I, I love that movie. It's 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 great. It's got a. Um, it's it's never been like totally confirmed, but honestly, it very much has like the first like openly gay comic book villain in in a comic book movie. Um, and you know, it's 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 just it, it's good. And this is this you know part of parts of this movie feel like that. Like all of the. You know, random like 1987-ish punk rockers hanging around, and also you know the 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 vampire gang in this case. They have they they look like a a hair metal band. Yeah, I was I was really wonderful. trying to figure out what the aesthetic exactly was supposed to be there because they look like it. it, it I, I would say hair metal is the objective marker for most of, like like there's a big hair. There's there's a sort of like just glamminess in general, but at the same time, it really feels like they're going for sort of like you know uh, riffraff street punk, which I think they were going for something unique because I mean whoever did like the costume design on this movie, they knew what like a punk rocker guy looked like. They knew what like a goth girl looked like. They they would put these people like in the background that would like you know sort of fit a a particular mold or an idea of what you have of what this particular kind of subculture would have looked like in the mid-80s, but, like, with the gang, they definitely just, like, went for something. They, it was just, like, a little bit, like, punk rock, a little bit greaser, a little bit hair metal, um, and then just, just weird stuff. Like, their bikes. Their bikes are, like, almost, like, Mad Maxi sort of. Yeah, it's a weird um, mix of, like, dirt bikey motorcycles, which, I mean, I guess if they're riding around the beach, that, that works pretty well, but, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I, I would, I, I, I think the fact that I am sort of like about the movie in general is maybe driving me to be inclined to be ungenerous about the design, but I kind of wonder how much of that is a really carefully thought out, you know, fusion aesthetic, and how much is that they just sort of like, ah, what would what would bad kids look like? You know, it's like I don't know how to navigate that. And so, I, you know what, there was there was right before CGI got big. I'm going to say from like between. 
1987-ish and, like, 1995, 1996, there was, like, a chunk of movies released that were all, like, fantasy, sci-fi, action, sort of, like, not, like, far future and not, you know, like, you know, medieval fantasy, but, like, you know, stuff sort of like this released that looked incredible, like, amazing set design, amazing costume design, and the movie itself would be, like, execrable, it'd be just a piece of shit, but it would be so nice to look at, and I think this one isn't, like, as big a piece of shit that's nice to look at as, like, Double Dragon or Super Mario Brothers, but it, it sort of, it, it starts to feel like it almost falls into that, into that category, if it, if it, um, yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, <laughs> so I'll try and I'll try and I'll gather my thoughts a little bit on it. But uh, things I did like, I mean, there, the, the some of the cinematography is interesting. You know, it's, it, that they tied it into the developing theme of the like flying vampires because the, the the movie really opens with some pretty dynamic uh, camera work. I mean, there's there's the really swooping stuff with like the starting with basically I mean the walking camera stuff on the Ferris wheel was uh, kind of nice dynamic they do the flyover over the parking lot that turns into turns out that's vampire murder going on there's sort of a rocky tracking shot of the car coming into Santa Clara with the, the mom and the kids there's the Ferris wheel stuff in the doors montage a lot of that sort of like almost sort of transitionary there's, montage stuff there's a couple of uh, zooms that I think were really like you know, you just don't see it a lot because there's just not a lot of movies with with, with tricky camera work that show it off in, in this way. But um, the scene where they're in the house and uh, Corey Aim is in uh, is in what do you call it? Uh, he's he's in the foreground of the camera, and in the background is like a staircase, and his brother, uh, you know, Jason Patrick, is coming down it, and then they chase each other through the house, and the camera sort of level with Corey Haim the whole time, but Jason Patrick is, like, coming in closer and closer in the back, even though they're both running. Uh, did you notice that? I did not specifically notice that, but, yeah, I, I remember the scene. Yeah, and then there was another one where they did a very similar sort of thing, but it was just, like, a regular... It wasn't even... I don't even think it was a dolly zoom. I think it was just, like, a regular zoom, uh, zooming out on him in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that... Th- the camera stuff seemed to be, like attentive in the film like I, I, I there were several times when I noticed the cinematography and sort of like oh that's sort of interesting way and and I, I never really got bored with a shot specifically so as far as that goes you know they shot this piece of shit well <laughs> it's I guess what I'll go with uh, I don't you know I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to find a way to not just keep saying I didn't like it but really Corey Haim was terrible Really, I enjoyed him. I, okay. I, I thought he was spunky. I, I, here, okay, here's the thing. Corey Haim was terrible as someone who I could actually get behind in any sort of story I'm supposed to be getting involved with rather than watching Corey Haim be spunky. Like he, like, and if you like spunky Corey Haim, this was probably a material because there's a lot of weird one-liners and whatnot and a lot of weird fucking outfits and, and you know, he's very Corey Haimy, but... I just, you know, it was like, it was nothing for me. I was like, no, geez, just stop giving this person lines because the lines are terrible and he doesn't, you know, do anything other than prove it is how <laughs> it felt a lot of time. Like, you know, it's like, it just, if I feel like, here's the thing. Uh, I feel like if you took Corey Haim and Corey Feldman and the other frog brother and you put them in their own movie 
maybe added a few people, maybe move it, like shoot it in Astoria, Oregon, maybe make them search for some, uh, I don't know, treasure on a ship in a hidden cave <laughs> while being chased by Italian mobsters. I think you'd have something. I think you'd have something that would work a lot better totally consistently. So if someone had made that movie, you know, I think, you know, that that, that would be good. But uh, this one, I don't, I don't know what the fuck he was doing in it, or I don't know what everybody else was doing in the movie that he was in in this one. I mean, yeah, if this movie was Gremlins 2, I think it would be great as well, but... Um, Goonies, Goonies, man. <laughs> I, yes. I, you know what, I, don't, I still don't think I've ever seen Goonies all the way through. Really? I, I think I, a friend of mine is just like very, very much into it because he saw it at like the 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 just the perfect age, and then he was watching it one day. And I'm like, oh, what's this? He's like, oh, it's the Goonies, and I'm watching him just like, I I, I missed the window of opportunity on this one. I'm sorry, dude. See, that one was an actual childhood one for me. Plus, you know, they shot some of it in Oregon, so hey, you know, it's very exciting, you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, for whatever reason, I'll like I'll take Corey Heyman that and be like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, fine, sure. You know, um, what was I was going to say the, the he is supposed to be like I I can't is he supposed to be like a a, a sort of like preppy like character I I can't there, there's a very sort of specific like aesthetic like subculturally to what he's doing in that and it's not like what we you know generally think of when you know you say preppy or something along those lines but it's something very. You know, different, very Southern California specific from the time. Yeah, yeah. I really uh, you don't know, know, like the, the 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 bright colors, the sort of like not effeminate, but like definitely like conscious of his appearance in a in a sort of um, you know dandyish way, um, yeah. and and very just very sarcastic and and just wit, you know sort of like witty. You know, the, the, what do you call it, the Frog Brothers try to make fun of him by telling him that, like, the, what was it, like, the fat-free frozen yogurt place isn't here anymore? <laughs> um, and, like, at one point he's wearing a t-shirt that just says, uh, love, love to shop? Did it say love to shop? I didn't catch that. It was one. something like that. But, yeah, no, no. it's, it, it's like this very, like, Zach Morrissey, like, sort of thing that I can't get a beat on, because I don't think it survived the 80s, that kind of well, character. Yeah, and part of it is, I don't know if he was supposed to be trying and failing to pull it off, or if we were actually supposed to read that as like, okay, he's a little bit of fish out of water here, but, you know, he's totally got it down. You know, his, 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 oh, Jesus Christ, this fucking, this, the, the care, oh, there's so many things in the movie where I'm like, why is this person, why, why am I supposed to care that this is happening with this person at this moment in this film, you know, because it's like, he's, he just comes off. So there's a scene. I'm I, I, I'm 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 so less able to even like summarize my points on this one for some reason today. Uh, but there's a scene uh, later in the film where his older brother uh, brings back, or or the girl vampire comes by. I don't remember exactly how it happened, but anyway, they're in the bedroom. She comes in. He's like, "Oh my god, she's a vampire!" Oh, you're vamp-. And and he he's clearly supposed to be like terrified. But he also just like jumps on the bed and wraps a blanket around his head and then keeps shouting things at them. But not things like, oh, God, oh, God, get out, don't kill me. Stuff like, you know, here is sort of my thoughts on this vampire situation. Also, I'm so scared. You know, it's like... He's sort of MST3K-ing their, like, romantic moment. Yeah, but he doesn't seem like he's 
meaning to it. It doesn't seem like either the director or the character thinks we're supposed to think that he's actually mocking the situation. He's supposed to be actually scared, I guess. He's supposed to actually be in kind of terror at encountering these vampires. But the best he can do to manifest that is just kind of be a mouthy shithead who just won't leave. You know, it's like, it's, it's like what exactly are you going for with this character, either from an acting or directing perspective, that that's what you do with him in a scene where you're nonetheless at least pretending to think these other two people are having a kind of serious conversation about a bad situation. You know, it's like, that's the thing. It's like, what is Corey doing there? I think this is the kind... I, I think this movie may have had, like, two target audiences where it was, you know younger teenagers and then slightly older teenagers slash young adults. Like, basically, I I think the two target audience... Because there's two very different movies going on in this movie. There is, like, you know, the wacky, you know, like, uh, Scooby-Doo gang foil actual vampires sort of, you know, like you're, action... You're, you're Monster port. Squad. It's very Monster Squad is what makes yeah, it. Yeah, and then the other half of this is like a teen coming-of-age movie. Yeah, it's like um, The Outsiders or something. You know, yeah. you could almost see, uh, what's-his-face, uh, Matt Dillon, a young Matt Dillon as Jason Patrick's character. Yeah, and, and then these and then these two movies are happening at the same time, and, I mean, like, the mom's plot could fit in, like, either of them, basically. There's there's a B plot. I mean, I guess a C plot? Would, would that be a C plot? I don't know. It's, I think it's a B plot. Let's let's call it the B plot. Yeah, the, the, there's a B plot of like their mom like dating her new boss at the video store, which um, is eventually sort of the the ending to this movie. The big so twist. okay. The do you uh, do, do you know what this movie solved for me that I I didn't realize was an open question? The Simpsons episode of the Treehouse of Horror one that was supposed to be a like prolonged parody of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which had come out that year with uh, yeah. you know. Um, was that wasn't F. Murray Abraham? Who the hell was Dracula played by? Uh, uh, duh, 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 yes, the this is the Coppola one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, yeah, Gary Oldman, Keanu Reeves, uh, and it was Will Oldham, Bonnie Prince Billy. It was. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so the, at the end of that uh, Simpsons episode, like, there's there's the scene when um, a vampire is, like, floating outside of his window, exactly like from this movie when uh, yeah. Jason Patrick is floating outside Corey's thing. And then, like, the whole you have to kill the head vampire thing and surprise who's the head vampire. I had no idea that was taken directly from this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's something. That's what this movie did for us. It justified its own existence by being referenced later in a Simpsons episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of imagery in this film. A lot of signage and stuff in backgrounds, and some of it just seems sort of like the murder cap of the world written on the back of a billboard. <laughs> Uh, which was kind of a cute sort of like, oh, well, that's... I mean, the movie, I feel like at that point, had already sort of established that tonally it was going to be a little uneven and maybe not super-duper serious. Uh, so that's kind of like, okay. But then later, Corey Haim's like, hey, Gramp, is it true this is the... Mur-? It's like, don't do the same thing twice in a movie unless you really, really need to. And this movie does that a few times. Like, it does that where it shows you that and then has him ask it. And it doesn't have him ask it in a way that really helps anything if you didn't catch the billboard because then it just seems like it's out of the blue and he's like hey grandpa is it really true that thing that has not otherwise been referenced in this film 
you know, so but there's there's the the comic book scene you mentioned. Uh, they do basically the exact same thing twice. Like the difference between these two scenes come down to a Corey's not wearing his rad trench coat the second time, and b he takes the comic book instead of refusing it after having the exact same dumb fucking interaction with the Frog Brothers of like, hey, let's jab at each other a little bit, and then here take this horror comic. Oh, I don't really like horror comics. Well, it'll maybe save your life, you know. And they do the exact same fucking thing twice, you know. Why not do something slightly different the second time with develop those characters a little bit if you want them to start establishing some sort of rapport that will be built on later it's just you know it's like why do these things twice and I don't know I don't know what the answer is and I want I want Joel Schumacher to tell me <laughs> I want to track him down and say look man falling down was pretty okay but <laughs> wait did he direct falling down yeah yeah huh. that movie is a much like um well, no, I guess Rambo's a little different. But Falling Down is a movie that, that people have a very different view on it than I think the one that, you know, was was, was intended. And, and I was surprised and then sad at how surprised I was by the fact. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, oh, during the, you know, speaking of the, the, the comic book scene, so the, he's, he's in this comic book store where, like, the Frog Brothers and possibly their parents work. Um, and he's just like, hey, it's like, do you have a copy of, what was it, Superman number 15? They're like, oh, that's a serious comic. Only four of them were ever printed. And I just, comic book lore from people that don't really understand how comic book publishing works is hilarious. Yeah, Um, to be fair, I think they said in existence, not ever published. I think implying, you know, that as far as people know, which is still a dumb line, because you don't know that that's the only ones in existence. You just know that there's only so many that are accounted for, but even then it's like yeah it's fucking ridiculous and then he's just like you can't have Superman 15 by you know the Superman 300s they haven't even introduced Red Kryptonite yet and I'm just like well I mean you generally shouldn't have those near each other because the numbers are nowhere near close to one another yeah I feel like someone yeah exactly so like you say people who don't know comic books trying to it, it is very weird that he has a couple of very specific objections to having a couple specific different pairs of issues that are like 200 issues apart next to each other instead of just saying maybe you should sort your fucking comic books they're not in order i mean that's that's <laughs> that's, that's 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 your actual thesis hey that's what you're trying to get at is 33 should come between 32 and 34 and be, be farther away from 200 but it's also he's looking at like you know these are like the display racks not the fucking boxes so you're probably not gonna have Everything like you're not going to have the entire Superman run up on the display shelf. You're going to have a few issues, so maybe you put some that you think maybe oh there was that thing where you said there's a movie coming out that touched on this you know run of the comic, so we'll put some of these out. You know that sounds like you know running a comic book store instead of sorting comic books. You know, but yeah, not that we get a chance to dig into that or anything in the film. They don't give us enough info. But really, yeah, it feels like it feels like this is like Dick measuring by people who think they have heard of dicks. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, my dick is 10 feet wide, and it's got green spots. You know, it's like, okay, well, mine, my, my dick, I have three dicks, and each of them has been on the Cosby show. You know, and it's like, what? I don't, I, this, this analogy is getting away from me. But the point is, ah, I just want to punch him all in the face. Just, just punch, 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 punch. Make sure everyone knows Josh has just come back from a extended hike, and I think he might have sunstroke. <laughs> 
Maybe. Well, actually, it was very shady. Yeah, I guess I, I guess we should pause briefly and, and, and talk about uh, <laughs> the thing that no one would notice if we didn't talk about it, which is that uh, uh, I am in Alabama, actually. Usually I'm recording from Portland, Oregon, where I live, but uh, my wife has a NASA internship this summer, so we're in Huntsville, Alabama, where she's working on some science stuff. And uh, now, now, Josh, I've got a question for yes, you. This NASA yes. internship, does it involve space? It does. It's 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 everything is taking place in space. I'm recording this from space. We all live in space now. He's in space, Alabama, folks. Yes, he, yes. He, it's a new Alabama, comma moon. Right, right, right. It's uh. <laughs> <laughs> now she's working on actually geology stuff, but it's using I think NASA um, satellite imagery is part of the idea, and it's a NASA like funded and organized uh, project looking at landslide analysis in Rwanda, I believe. Um, so yeah, we're out here for a couple months, and so there'll be a, a few Alabama. We have such films to show you, and this is the the first of those. And yeah, we went on a hike this morning, and I I, I put way too much trust in some hiking reviews uh, summary of the hike we went to do, and so we ended up spending like an extra hour on it, even after cutting it slightly short. It's also it's it's warm in Alabama. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's it's actually sort of in a southerly part of. Uh, the United States. I mean, I'm I'm in Brooklyn, and it is like hot as balls. So yeah. I can't imagine what it's like in Alabama right now. Yeah, uh, it's 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 fairly warm. It's fairly humid. It's currently 93 with a projected high of 92. Apple seems to pull those numbers from two different sources, uh, and that's actually kind of nice compared to the last week or so when it's been a, a few degrees higher. It's nice and humid, and yeah, it was just a it was a it was a serious hike. Uh, it turns out there's a lot of down, a lot of up, and we've both been sort of out of practice. We we'll, we'll go for a walk, like you know, every every day or two at home. We'll just you know go out and walk for a mile or two around the neighborhood. And we haven't so much done that while we were driving cross country, and we haven't so much done that here because we've been busy settling in, and that's also been like warm as balls. And uh, where we're living is kind of a sort of stretch of pavement so it's not there's not like a nice neighborhood to just walk around right here so we're still sort of figuring this stuff out so this is like we we sort of jumped in with like both feet jump jumped in head first that's better you would always jump in with both feet wouldn't you because otherwise how would you jump in with one foot uh i mean you could, i think it's called a can opener isn't it, it when you jump off the uh well, the but, high board and then it's like you you do the thing where you're totally straight i forget what that's called but instead of doing it like that you put one of your uh, you bend one of your knees back and you put your ankle in your hand and you hit the water and I think it's called a can opener. Well, sure, That's but the, the other foot's going in, is what I'm saying. Yes. You're not going to jump in with one foot and the other foot stays dry. So obviously, jumping in with both feet doesn't really sell. Oh, now you're really. I mean, I guess you dip a toe in is a thing you do that uses one foot. That's not jumping in. You're sort of dipping your toe in the water. So I think I want to say I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to revise my comment to I we jumped in head first. We jumped in head first. And we got some good exercise, and we're probably going to be sore as, sore as shit tomorrow, but, uh, but we made it back. But that's, that's why, as again, the listener would have no idea, we're starting uh, an hour late on this, because, uh, because man, it was, a, it was a hike, and got back here, and, and yes. So I, I am probably, uh, it, it, it was shady, so probably not sunstroke, maybe heat stroke, but I think I'm okay there. But I definitely have a certain uh, energy, I think, carrying over. Uh, into this. And you're putting that energy towards not liking the Lost Boys. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this quite a bit. I think it's sort of rare that we have such 
distinctly different opinions about a yeah, movie. Yeah, I, sh- I should like. I, I think the, the most we ever get is just like I didn't like this movie, and the other person is just like, eh. <laughs> I thought it was but okay. I, yeah, uh, but I, I I think it's sort of rare that we 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 get such a different thing. Um, I still believe fantastic song. I think I, I think that is a great song played by a consummate half-naked muscle-bound oh, musician Oh, God, yeah. That, yeah, the, the, the shirtless, greased-up saxophone guy. What is his name? Hang on. I, I have no idea. I didn't look any of it. I just, I just let it be a... Mus- yeah, I think he's an actual musician. Um, I was really I hoping he- for a, a break into the, the sax bit from... Uh, uh, shit. Uh, the song with the sax break. The sax man. Oh, here we go. His name is Tim Capello, multi-instrumentalist, composer, and vocalist, known for his saxophone work supporting Tina Turner. Also, he definitely lifts, bro. Like, that guy yeah. was ripped. Oh. oh, hang on. The next paragraph on Wikipedia. He is notable for his muscular physique, his sexually provocative movements during his performances, and his, <laughs> his tendency to perform shirtless with his skin oiled and his hair in a ponytail. Well, that, and that is on full display in this movie, and he is, like, dwarfing that saxophone, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little toy saxophone. Yeah, that was that was a heck of a scene. And, and yeah, it's, it's nice to know that they could have basically just happened across him during filming and say, hey, let's throw this in. From the sound I think bit. this was, like, another and and you know like you see like the whole uh, you know beach town attending this concert like all the punks and all the you know all the counterculture youth and and I think it's great and they were just like you know should we get like you know what style what style of music can can it be you know like this thing that brings together all of these like you know disparate youth cultures it's like you know should we use like a punk band or a goth band it's like no we are using this motherfucker and his saxophone and he's going to be up there gyrating half naked and everybody will love it i saw some reference to it or maybe you made some reference to it when we were discussing the other day that we should watch this but uh yeah definitely yeah yeah this that was the only part of this movie that i'd seen before <laughs> see the part the part that i know i've seen before was the uh the the dinner scene the the dinner at home with max uh, with the garlic and the water. Oh yeah, and spilling. that was like you know straight out of like you know a, a a Mrs. Doubtfire type movie like for for children. That was like a children's movie scene. Yes, um, featuring also, uh, children. <laughs> yeah, featuring children. Yeah, uh, Corey Haim brings the uh, the Frog Brothers over for dinner for his mom's date. You know the yeah. she, she had invited uh, Max the 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 video store her boss at the video store. You know, it's never made sort of like it, it. It's weird how much that movie like keeps from um, making that as creepy as it is. You know, like she's just like, "Oh, I'm going on a date with like my direct boss at this small video store. If this goes poorly, I'm probably fired." Well, um, it's it's not as weird as it. Could. I mean, part of it is we just don't get that much of their interactions. But I yeah. mean, up until it turns out that he's the head vampire in Evil, he's a totally nice, affable guy. I mean, that that actor is totally a that guy actor. He's a genuinely yeah. like they could have had him turn out not to be evil at the end. And there wouldn't have been a sour note about it. Like, it would have just been like, oh, because like, this guy is totally viable as just genuinely an affable, nice guy who's dating their mom. You know, so the fact the fact that they moved to town, she basically wanders in the store, store and says, hey, can I have a job? And he says, sure. I don't feel like that's quite the sort of compromising employment, employer-employee relationship you'd worry about in a more, like, corporate context versus, like, hey, you wandered into my store – 
I gave you a job. What the heck? Do you want to get dinner? Because I like you. Sure. You know, it's like a, it's, that's a blooming uh, small town romance thing right there. All right. Maybe, I, I, maybe I, I, I'm worried I totally, that he's going to be replacing Corey Haim and Jason Patrick's dad. That's, I think they that's can worry about got, him being a vampire. I'll worry about that. Exactly. You've got – I think you're – I mean, it's, it's kind of you, but I think you're being a little bit uh, overly worrisome about it uh, in a sort of paternalistic way. I think – I think she's an adult. Lucy can decide to date who she wants. She can make that decision. And if it doesn't work out and it does get weird and she you know, needs to leave, or even if he turns out to be vindictive and fires her, there's got to be literally more than one job in Santa Clara, to which they moved on purpose, apparently, because they were moving in with her dad, with whom I guess they're living rent-free. So it's not really like they're in that much trouble. Like, she doesn't look like she's like, oh, God, mister, you got to give me a job. You know, she's like, hey, here's a random conversation. You want to hire me? You know, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give that all a pass. I would actually have been totally happy with a movie that was primarily about, or, or at least much more significantly about Lucy and Max as uh, a couple who one of them wasn't a, you know evil vampire. You know, that would have been fine with me. I liked them enough. It was a good dynamic. So, were any other of the gangs in the town vampires, or was it just the the the, the Lost Boys? I I think it was just the Lost Boys, which is interesting because it it seems like there is very much another sort of gang. That's what we get the Ferris wheel. I wasn't sure what's going on immediately in that Ferris wheel scene at the moment, or not Ferris wheel, but uh, merry-go-round. I heard it was built on an ancient Indian burial ground. Uh, <laughs> sunstroke. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I at first like I thought that like one of Kiefer's gang was messing with some random woman on a on a horse. No, on I, th- the I think that is what was happening. Wasn't well, but it? but later I think she was in the car with the guy. So I think what was actually happening there is that random woman was actually the girl of one of the people in the rival gang who was the guy hanging out there who starts getting all like, hey, fuck you, Hansy, when the other guy's sort of starting to bug her. But yeah, I didn't get that feeling from the scene. I'm just saying that after the fact. So maybe they just had them bothering some random woman who sort of looked like the lady who then showed up later as clearly the gang member's girlfriend. Um, but I don't know. But 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 speaking of that later scene, what what we get is... Another camera shot from above, zooming in, flying sort of perspective shot, and then the rip, the the the, the roof being torn off a car, and uh, and those two, like the guy and the girl, the guy was definitely gang member dude, getting murdered and terrified. And I think it would have been more like, oh yeah, come at me, bro, if it was like I too am a vampire. So I think I think he was pretty clearly just some dude who was like a a, a punky bro in a in a gang. Was my read on that? Yeah. Um, yeah. The the uh, what do you call it? Because I'm, I'm wondering, like, if if there was like other vampire gangs in that town when after they killed Max, like all their powers turn off and they're like, wait, fuck. Ah, see that that would be kind of great, actually. That like they could have made a sequel. Uh, why am I suggesting they've made they two made a sequel? sequels to this? They did. Oh my gosh! Well, one in 2008, one in 2011. Corey Feldman is, I think, in both of them. Wow. And they're actually like sequel sequels? Uh, like yeah, they're Lost Boys 2 and Lost Boys 3. Wow. Wow. Or, hang on, are, are they actually called that? Oh, no, it's, it's Lost Boys The Tribe and then uh, Lost Boys The Thirst. Okay. See, those that, that sounds like that. that's more what I would sort of expect with that kind of time gap that, and no apparent true. reason to be making. But yeah, Corey Feldman as Edgar Frog, so. All right. 
that's uh, that's what do you do? Okay. Uh, I, I I was gonna say they should make a sequel that was all about the fallout and the collapse of the vampire. Uh, political situation in town, running with your idea that they were rival vampire gangs, but I'm not sure if that really. I think is they what should have made a, a a Saturday morning sitcom with uh, the Corys and the other Frog Brother, who you know fight supernatural threats in their hometown that are you know slightly more lighthearted than this movie. Could have called it One and a Half Men. <laughs> um, Three halves of men. So here, here's a drinking game you can play when you're watching this movie. Uh, every time Corey Feldman says Bud, just punch him in the face. Just right in the face. Uh, he says that a lot. So whoever wrote this like, really thought like saying Bud to emphasize comments to your brother in particular. You know, I'm at the mercy of your sex glands. Glands. Oh, God. That line yeah. is, I will forever remember I am at the mercy of your sex glands. And there's a lot of lines. like, And I see this is... I can try and, uh, again, you know, try, try and be generous here and say, okay, well, it's sort of memorably goofy writing. You know, maybe I shouldn't just say it's bad. I should say, oh, no, it's just they're going for this specific sort of goofy, off-kilter dialogue aesthetic I think here. they were for half the movie. But, yeah, that's the thing. They don't do it consistently. So it's like it's really hard to, like, like this, this is not Napoleon Dynamite, you know. It's not something that is clearly dedicated to the idea of being a weird, off-kilter you know goofball sort of dry but wacky comedy you know it's no it's it, it, it's that and then it's like you know Jason Patrick saying just you and punching you know Kiefer Sutherland in the face and trying to start a fight which tactically that's a bad idea so the, they're, they're, they race <laughs> to the cliffside Jason Patrick's like yeah I like this girl so I'll totally get in this you know questionable okay, so hijinks wait, with wait, you wait 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 before this so he's flirting with Kiefer Sutherland's he's been like on and off sort of flirting with Kiefer Sutherland's girlfriend yeah. like throughout that scene and Kiefer Sutherland's attitude toward like this guy hitting on his girlfriend is like the only way I can summarize it is, I think you're hot, and so I'm okay with this. Kind of, because yeah. there's definitely an attraction, at least going from Keith or so, Kiefer Sutherland to Jason Patrick. I think there's like a one way attraction going there because he's never threatened, like you know, his 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 you know, his what do you call it? Not his his just you know, the fact that that she is with him he doesn't find jason patrick threatening in that way even though a he yeah you know i guess should because that is what happens and and the other thing is that he's so amused by it that i i it was always just i when, when watching it, I, that just gave me like the homoeroticist elements and then they just keep going with that well yeah there's i kind of feel i i feel i don't, I don't know I have misgivings about bothering to chalk up the things that could be sort of taken as an oddly homoerotic note in the film because there's a few of them. And and the thing is, I don't really look at it as like, oh, well, here's a problem with this film. It's got this homoeroticism. You know, I don't care that it does, but it's hard not to look at it as a film made in the late 80s when sexual politics were kind of a whole lot worse than they are in terms of, you know, how we look at, you know, the treatment of gay people in media. I mean, we're still making... There's plenty of progress made there, but I would not say that the late 80s was a great time, especially in goofball American filmmaking, for, you know, thoughtful treatment of, you know... 
it, gay culture. I mean, that's the thing. It wasn't, but I would be fine with, like, considering Kiefer Sutherland's character is just, like, one of those, vam- like, Anne Rice-type vampires that have been around so long that at this point, yeah, why wouldn't he be sleeping with men as well? Yeah. Well, and, that's, and, yeah, that's, that's an interesting... Is, like, I don't think we ever get any real clear hints... Well, I mean, we get things that could be taken as hints, but we don't get any clear acknowledgement of the actual particular age and durability of of these vampires. Like, we don't know if Kiefer Sutherland is, you know, 30 years old or 100 years old or 500 years old. Um, it, it seems like it could really be up in the air. Like, it could be that there's that giant head of Jim Morrison hanging in uh, in their cave because he's been a vampire since... The doors were big, you know? It could be that they literally took over that cave around the time of the big earthquake back in 06, you know, when it used to be the big fancy resort, and then it, you know, fell apart after that, and then, and then they moved in, you know? I don't know. Did you feel like the film really gave us anything to work with in terms of... I think the film was meant for you to think that they are older than they appear, and, you know, I, I think maybe part of that is, you know, that, like, sort of greaser vibe that they give off, that, you know, yeah. they, they've they just sort of, like, been been stacking the different, uh, you know, counterculture sort of things onto themselves from, you know, the 50s or so onward. You yeah. know, they, they've, got the, they've got the bikes, but then they've got, like, the punk gear, but then they've got the hair metal band hair. See, and, and I can, I can actually kind of get behind it. I think that's, like, the best argument for the aesthetic I've seen so far. I don't know if I buy that that's what they would do, but I'm not sure I should worry too much about what do I rationally thinking, think a bunch of cave-dwelling, surf-town, prowling vampires would do aesthetically. Uh, so yeah, I, I, the the idea that's I, I mean, an agglutination of those giving, styles. Like the, the, I might be giving the aesthetics of this movie the benefit of the doubt just because I've seen so many movies where the aesthetic direction was was dead on and the movie itself was crap. Like I, yeah. you know, like I mentioned before. So like those two things in my mind can easily have like a a you know huge huge disconnect in, yeah. in one movie where you know like. The, the there's an intentionality to, to, to the art direction that isn't um, you know that the the skill behind which isn't also in the the, the, the you know direction of the you know the acting itself and the, and the plot and all that yeah um, but I don't know I, it, 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 it's a good theory I, I, I'm willing to run with it I, I like that as at least sort of an explanation of part of where this could be I don't know that it explains seeing some of that also in like maybe the rival gang stuff but we don't really get a good, good look at the rival gang so so I, I guess I yeah I mean there's there's like much. the one you know um, like I they, they were like sort of uh, you know mosh pit kind of dancing um, when when the uh, what do you call it? When when all of the the Lost Boys reveal themselves as vampires to oh, yeah. uh, Jason Patrick, you know, there's that gang um, who were clearly just a bunch of people. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, uh, and and the other thing is, you'd, you'd think that people would notice, you know, in in this small town that you know there was. Uh, what do you call it? That there was vampires. But then I'm wondering, like, all the way, you know, like, the very end of the movie, like, you know, the house is almost entirely destroyed, but they kill Max, and, you know, all the, they, you know, it's assumed that the rest of the vampires are, are, um, 
are, you know, devampired along with a star and Laddie, and Star is Jason Patrick's love interest, and Laddie is is he supposed to be like her little brother, her yeah, son? I don't I don't know what the deal was. Or maybe she I, was just protecting him. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because he, he definitely came off as like one of the other vampire's little brothers. Yeah. Well and somebody somebody had the wherewithal to put his face on the side of a milk carton. Yeah. So clearly someone and I, I think we have to assume it was not Star, because why would Star be like, you know what, I know exactly where he is, but I'm going to put out an APB on him because I want someone else to find him in this cave we hide in where no one will find us. You know, yeah. so, so clearly it's, there's someone else who knows Laddie, too. Maybe Laddie's parents. Let's assume he has parents. But, I mean, yeah, and all the weird implication of that is that they stole a child. Well, I, that was, that was kind of Max's implication at the end when he's monologuing. Uh, right before he snuffs it, he talks about how he was really after Lucy all along. He was after the mom because, like, you know, once you get the mom, then it's easy to get the kids. Uh, so so I, I think I, I think that's just what they do. Like, Max, for whatever reason, is like, hey, yeah, I like assembling a collection of youths. Maybe he just finds youths amusing. Maybe, I mean, you could read some grosser implication into there, but we never really get any hint of that from him. Like, he's just super nice, and then he, you know, turns into a vampire and tries to murder him because it all fell apart. But there's no real, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, are, 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 we, are we having the, is there a weird pedophilia angle discussion here, or were you trying to I, go I, there? I think it would, I, I, I think you could go that way, but it would probably involve reading further into this movie than, you know, yeah. than is worthwhile for any aspect of this movie. Yeah, yeah, I basically agree. Like, I didn't get any sense of that. I, I just got it as like, oh, well, you know, a little kid vampire, because then you get the great little kid vampire scene at the end where Star has yeah. to protect him from the Frog Brothers yeah, uh, and vice versa. Um, but yeah, yeah, so anyway, oh, so after, you know, like, the, the, the ending, you see, like, Grandpa, and he's just sort of, like, wanders into the kitchen, which, the lights are off in it, but, you know, it was destroyed by the vampire in the bathtub, like, blowing all their pipes. Um, and then he's just like, you know, that's the one thing I could never stand about, uh, Santa, Santa Clara. Clara. Yeah, all the goddamn vampires, and then credits. And I'm yeah. just like, how much of the town knows about this in that case? Yeah, and how many vampires are there? Like, was it literally Max and then these, like, four delinquents? Maybe, it's like, a, maybe it's like a multi-level marketing scheme. Oh, Where, yeah. you know, you get... It's not so much, like, the head vampire. It's like they've been using that as shorthand. But basically, like, every starter of a downstream, like, if you get yeah. that one, the rest, of the, the rest of the downstream falls off. But it exactly. doesn't necessarily mean that they're the head vampire. Yeah. Um, no, I, I like so, that read. So maybe maybe there are some other factions in town, and we just saw this particular one. Yeah, and they're much better. Uh, what do you call it? They're not as bad at their jobs as vampires. Yeah. <laughs> um, I yeah, like also the the phrase "death by stereo" came from this movie. I I kept. I always thought it was from Heather's for some reason. I, I have never heard the phrase "death by stereo." So, so there was it was a, just a um, turd rolling newly out of Corey Haim's mouth for me. It was there was a hardcore band called Death by Stereo in the nineties, and then it's also a venue in Brooklyn for music. Ah, you New Yorkers! Or wait, am I Death? No, the venue is called Death by Audio here, uh, but the band was called Death by Stereo, the hardcore band. Okay. Uh, yeah, the venue is called Death by Audio. Um, yeah, for some reason I always thought that was from uh, Heather's, but I might be confusing it with uh, my teen angst bullshit now has a body count. 
<laughs> that sounds like Heather's. Which I've I've only seen pieces of actually. I've never sat down and watched that straight through either. Me neither. Maybe that's a horror movie. <laughs> but yeah, that stereos. Ah, oh, Jesus. That, again, like you know, it's 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 so. Ugh. I think All I the- might have a, a special fondness for this movie. It's because I love movies that take place during the 1980s, and there's scenes that take place in either comic book stores or arcades. Just because they they always sort of like embellish it up just enough to to make it like you know just sort of ping right off my nostalgia. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I uh, <laughs> I, I I have misgivings about this film. It turns out. Uh, I I kind of like the grandpa was just sort of a weird asshole. Like yeah. He was. He, he was. He was. I mean, I, I guess it's to some extent. I'm saying, oh, but this goofy, dumb, overdone trope I liked. The grandpa's an old coot one, but he I was, still kind of liked he, him. He was also like a combination of like several different kind of like you know old men stereotypes. He was like you know like the horny old man. He was the the you know weird prospector slash taxidermist. He was yep. uh, you know like an aging hippie. Uh, he was just like all of these things rolled into one. I think it's it's kind of funny how they just like sort of cobbled out a character out of all these different kinds of you know like old men stereotype characters. Yep. And was it implied that he was growing weed? Because like at one point, Jason Patrick points like outside the window to Corey Haim and then like makes the weed smoking motion. Yeah, I wasn't totally clear what was going on there, but uh, there was. I think I mean, there was, there was definitely that, some sort of weed joke there. But yeah, they're definitely follow. implying that their grandpa was smoking weed. Yeah, or growing it at least. Yeah, um, um, I liked that. Th- th- there's a quick one-off reference early on. Corey Haim says something that was like, t- it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre in here. I was like, oh, you've seen a horror movie. And then they open up Grandpa's uh, taxidermy room and says, okay, talk about your Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then, okay, that was that was actually legit. They actually did tie it into something actually aesthetically appropriate for Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre with a room full of animals. So I What's appreciated the, that. Do you, do you know what that thing is called that he had like over his eye that's just like the big like metal uh, circle with like the small hole in it to look through. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what like, is that, and how does it work? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I associate that with like doctors, and I think the idea is like you could use it to sort of redirect, redirect light. But I don't think you would. Look I thought through that, it I think in that's that case. a that different was more like thing. A, yeah, it's like a mirror above yeah. your head. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I just watched the man who wasn't there, and uh, the doctor at at the end had one of those on, and yeah, it was like a forehead light that was like this angled. Uh, yeah, so you I, know, it was a convex mirror. But yeah, I the only thing I can think of is maybe like it, it. It's one of those things where if you shrink the area that you know your eye sees with, the more the sharper the image gets because maybe maybe it, yeah, I don't you know. need more light to go in for the same amount of illumination or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I can think of. But I don't even know what that thing is called, so I can't yeah, even I have Google no idea. it. Yeah, exactly. That well, this sounds like a job for Ask Metafilter. Uh, just get on it once we're done with this episode. Uh, <laughs> I uh, there I, I I liked the scene with going back to the the other gang member who got murdered with his girl. The setup to that was they're sitting in the, a car and she's reading a comic book. And he's trying to like make out with her, and she's like just out like she's like I'm reading a genuinely hilarious comic book. Stop trying to kiss me was the whole dynamic, and they do that like just as like a short little physical comedy bit for like three times in fifteen seconds, and then yeah. suddenly they're murdered. But I, I just like I, something about that was slightly charming to me. I don't know. I I, I was I like the implication that this was like a makeout slash sex car 
that is in that like you know make out point area because it definitely looked like that car had been there for a while. Yeah, it, look, it looked and a little wasn't going in. anywhere. Yeah, it looked like it was pretty settled in. Yeah, so the the you know the the teens have their own little you know doing it car. Um, there was uh, what? There was I, a whole. I, uh, I the um, <laughs> what do you call it, Corey? Not Corey Feldman, fucking Jason Patrick. Like after he becomes vampired, he's always wearing sunglasses, and they're always askew and just like these. Um, I think they're are they women's sunglasses? Or are they his sunglasses? I can't tell. I, I don't know. I don't know what was yeah. going on. They were sort of weird, but uh, you know, it's nineteen eighty seven. What do I know? Remember, I think after after Corey Haim's goddamn trench coat ensemble, like I, I no longer had any questions. I could like reasonably present the film about any uh, fashion decisions. Do teenage boys still pierce one ear? That 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 went out. I don't out. know. I don't I know. I think that went out. And uh, he like cause... he like just instantly got his ear piercing too like that night you know eat eat some maggots that are actually rice and some noodles that are actually worms and well Corey some... Haim had one too did he I didn't notice yep. well I, he I... gives his brother shit about it then maybe it was because it was dangly because Corey maybe. Haim's was a stud oh that's and probably it. I don't know maybe there is just some sort of like masculinity rules dangling with, is uh... right out yeah yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'll tell you what. Yeah. I think if if shirtless, ripped saxophone guy had wanted to wear yeah. a dangly earring, no one would have talked to him about it. They nope. said like, "You you go, you go, man, you do it." He was wearing a fair yeah. amount. I think it was like like necklaces and bracelets. Yeah, he, he had like belly he had some, chains. Yeah, I he think, was adorned. Or, yeah. Um, Jason Patrick buys a leather jacket on the boardwalk. Did you notice that? I did not notice that. He does not go to a store. He just gets, like, an emergency leather jacket. That is how... It's Santa Clara. Everything's on the boardwalk, man. Yeah, I mean, but, like, that is how, like, essential the... the, the, the this town runs on, like, a leather jacket-backed economy. There, Which makes sense so for such a warm climate. Everybody would want to swaddle themselves in, you know, uh, leather... Guard. Yeah, um, they they the the you know the the punks and so on in this movie they are they are really devoted to it considering they're in Southern California. Well, in, they are in, still in defense of the, the the core gang members, they are probably cold blooded creatures of the night who are not affected in the same way. So they're like, yeah, no, I'll swallow myself up because what the hell? It's not like I have That's a beating true. heart. So yeah, that might be the thing. And then the other punks are like, well, if they're going to do it, we're going to do it too. But man, it's really fucking warm. And that's why they get murdered in cars while their girlfriends read why comic books. Why were the Lost Boys menacing Max? Or I don't think they, they were. Him? I think I think that was supposed to be they a were big just coming by for a visit. Yeah, I think they were just sort of like wandering around. And so we're supposed to read his like, "I told you not to come in here." It's like, oh, this nice man is having trouble with these troublesome teens, just like that security guard did before. Right. Uh, and instead, it's more like, oh, my pain in the ass, kids. Seriously, guys. Get the fuck out of the store. Come on. I'm trying to run a legit business here. We can't vampire it up in here and get out, you know. I, I think that's I think that's the one two punch of that that we're supposed to have once we find out at the end of the movie that he's actually the head vampire. Doesn't make for a very interesting twist though, because it's like, okay, so they were being slightly annoying in their vampire patron store instead of menacing their vampire patron. Okay, that's that's what a twist. It changes the whole text of the film once you have that yeah, stunning like realization. Yeah, none of the interactions know? between them and Max really gain or lose anything when you find out that he's a vampire. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, what they were doing is still annoying. So. Well, and there's them sort of 
revving bikes outside his house in what seems like what the fuck was the deal there like they're just like showing up to try and scare him except for he knows exactly who they are and so he wouldn't yeah. be scared and we don't see him being scared exactly but like that whole scene just like I, I understand I mean don't get me wrong I understand it's misdirection the idea is we're supposed to think Max is not the vampire but there's no explanation for the misdirection yeah like, like, like yeah, what they, is they that never... fucking scene you know it makes no sense Yep. Yeah. I like... Uh, I don't even like... I, I, I shouldn't say I like about things I dislike. One of the many Corey Fe- Haim lines that I disliked, even though, again, I have misgivings about whether and how exactly I should feel about disliking it, are you guys sniffing old newsprint or something? Yeah, that was... Talking to the that, Frog Brothers, I think? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was... I don't even know what that was supposed to mean. Uh, yeah, I like they're I mean like I understand the the I understand what he's implying, yeah. but I don't understand what is actually, you know. Yeah. And, and is yeah, I mean I really is a comic like, book like, store. Are but, you, you know, huffing fumes? It's yeah. like that's it's like a highly specific attempt at an insult. Yeah. Uh you watching too much dynasty, bud, he says at one point to his brother. Uh because his brother's like, there's no kind TV, of and you know what no TV means? No MTV. Watching. Yeah, yeah. He really wanted his MTV. I mean, it was 1987. That was a time for that line to be in a film. But at the same time, I'm just punching right in the fucking. Oh. Yeah, yeah. At one point later in the film, uh, one of the Frog Brothers says something or other, and Corey. Haim says, what was that? A little vampire humor? It wasn't funny. And it's like... Oh, no, no. That's when his brother... Uh, I I think it was when his brother... When, um... What do you call it? When when their grandpa is just like, I got a hot date with Mrs. Johnson, you know, after I drop off some work for her. And um, Jason Patrick's like, oh, what? Did you, did you stuff Mr. Johnson? And Corey Haim's like, that's not funny. And the joke is no more or less different than any of the rest of the I think that was movie. a different point where Corey Haim somehow managed to be weirdly pointedly humorless despite his attempts to be a sassy jerk elsewhere in the film i think those are two i think those are actually two different things because yeah this movie treats wisecracking really uh not in any not inconsistently wisecracking is treated inconsistently even though the jokes are generally of the same type of humor and like level of yeah. you know transgressive which is not very much at all yeah like like, like cory haim at times comes off as an extremely fragile bugs bunny <laughs> like you know, he he wants to he wants to you know dish it out, but he doesn't want to take it or something. You know, it's it's ah, it's just it's a fucking mess, and I can't stand him. Oh my god, he's so bad. He sucks everything out, out of this film. Him. It's just, uh, and I mean, nothing nothing against Corey Haim specifically. My issue here is with 1987 Corey Haim in this movie saying the things he says the way he says them. You know, he may be a totally righteous dude. But the Corey Haim that appears in this movie, I think, was somewhere at or near the height of his Corey Haim powers. And I feel like he is in this movie for the same reason that Corey Feldman is in this movie and for the same reason that both of them being in this movie is, like, probably worse for this movie than if they just gotten random actors. It's, like, it's because, oh, it's the Corys. Let's make a movie with the Corys in it. And, and then they're, they're bad. They're just – it doesn't fucking work. And 
I mean, I'm sure like the script wasn't compromised from being a beautiful thing into whatever it is solely on the strength of that or anything, but but ah uh, uh, So you're not you are not blaming the Corys for this movie's failings, but you are I'm, 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 uh, I'm blaming... attributing to them a part of that failure. Yes. I think the zeitgeistiness of the Corys. I think this is a victim. This movie is in part a victim of their contemporary success. So if it wasn't Corey Haim, if it was, let's say it was Mark Paul Gossler from like about four or five years later. Mark Paul Gossler. Like 19, Mark Paul Gossler, Zach Morris. Oh, okay. Circa circa 1992 rather than 1987 when he was much younger, um, I think. Would, Would that have... You know, we're playing that roughly that same kind of wisecracking, uh, you know, like uh, Zach character. I think if there was a little bit more Zach Morris in the character, it would have worked a little bit better because I think he like would have been a little bit more time. Cons- well, you know, that could have helped. That, that some, 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 yeah, some asides to the audience during Frozen Time probably wouldn't have hurt this film. <laughs> but, but more to the point, that 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 sort of self-assured nature, I think, would have worked well because, like, that's the thing with Corey Haim's character in this. He does not come across as a believably uh, emotionally fragile, struggling to cope, cope character, but he also doesn't actually pull off the kind of sassy, genuine, self-assured confidence that is, I guess, sort of the heart of the Zach Morris character, right? Like, he's he's in this weird in-between place where he seems like an emotional muddle, but he's not, like, interestingly emotionally accessible. He's just fucking all over the map in a... I don't know, bad writing and acting sort of way. I just, I just you know, it's, I can't, I can't come up with a defense. You can't, you of his can't character attribute that to his teenagerdom. Like if, if, yeah, if if this character were a real person and I knew him in real life at the time, I would not want to have been friends with him at all. Like he'd be that. Like no, I mean, and I didn't. I wasn't a real social kid, but I think I would have been like, nah. I think I'll just stay home and play Nintendo instead of spending time with that guy because, like. I don't know what would have been... But I think that's the guy who would have all the really good Nintendo games. Maybe, and that's the, the fucking... And then you'd be going over to his house to point. play him because he, he was the one... He got that U-Force, you know, oh, that, that controller I, that I you had the control by waving actually. your hands over yeah, it. Yeah, I had that. I got, I got that. It was on deep discount for many <laughs> months at the local uh, Fred Meyers <laughs> store. Uh, and uh, so eventually I was like, hey, it's... Dad, it's 10 bucks, and it's probably amazing. Can I get it? Do you still have it? Uh, I, I'm sure I got rid of it at some point. You know, actually, what happens? My you parents could use basically it as a sold my. Yeah, you probably could. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it. it they, yeah. I've seen it. I've seen hacks for it, and I've also seen people yeah. playing video games very, very well with it. Like there have been people who have trained themselves to use this thing. Oh, I'm sure. As yeah. nimbly as one would use a controller, and it's insane. Yeah, I'm sure if you got spent the time with it, it's just it was like why. No, no game was made for it except for like two or three. If you don't know what we're talking about, it's the uh, it's the Nintendo U Force. It was a controller for the you know NES and the original Nintendo. Imagine and, um, a George Foreman grill that you just like sort of wave your hands at. Sort of your ha- your half of like the battleship game. Yeah, a little a, a little open laptop except for there's no laptop. It's yeah. just a couple of planes, and then they had yeah theremin like proximity sensors, like eight sensors that you could move your hands around in space to like you know trigger by moving closer or farther from the sensor uh and it was it looked so cool yeah it, on the in the commercials it's basically the power glove without a glove is basically exactly the sort of level yeah. of technology and aesthetic pitch we're talking about where it's like no you can control games in a whole new way that's super shitty which is why we don't control games this way but we won't say that because it's rad 
And uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was a bad controller. It was definitely one of like the many, many, many failed experiments in like non-controller control schemes that yeah they never did it. Do you remember the uh, the Sega? It was like it was a octagon, I think, or maybe like a decagon that you put on the floor. I do and remember each that. plane of it was a different button, and I cannot imagine how you would use that thing. Yeah, you know, I, yeah well, I, I think it, it was pitched as sort of like a fighting game thing because like it's yeah, like you're in it, a it, ring. It, yeah, yeah, like it showed like people you know punching and kicking when they're in the middle of it, but you know it wouldn't matter what motion you made, and you know the fact that they're kicking to the left might not mean your character is going to kick to the left. Might mean you move to the left a little bit, or maybe that's pause or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so this movie is like the U Force. Is <laughs> what yeah, I'm trying to say? This is the U Force. Yes. Of no. Movies. No. Corey Haim totally would have like. He, he would have, like, a couple of NES advantages, a couple of nice joystick controllers with the turbo buttons and everything. And He'd have a power glove, but he'd never let you wear it. Yep, yep. He'd have the track and field pad, but he wouldn't let you play with it. Uh, because, in, in truth, he knew it just sucked, but he also knew you wanted to. Uh, fucking Corey Haim is the worst kid down the block ever. Why did I have to live <laughs> down the block from him? That jerk. Uh, I this, is, this, this movie brings up the inevitable horror movie taking place in a world where horror exists as a genre problem where like vampire is not a concept that is new to Corey Haim or anybody else apparently in the movie like they know about vampires as the fictional creature but he and he's aware of that he's aware of horror comics as a as a concept and as a genre enough to repeatedly try and you know disclaim an interest in them and yet he needs to rapidly consult a printed comic book that he happens to have reluctantly accepted just to know jack shit about vampires, apparently. Like, he frantically looks for a comic book to figure out, oh, what do I do about this whole vampire situation? So, like, how do you get to that specific level? It's like it's like if instead of vampires it was, like, quantum physics. Like, well, everybody knows it exists, but nobody understands anything about it sort of level in which case would be like oh i'd better go find that comic book about richard Feynman so i can save the day you know it's like it's just like it's it's such a weird muddled half committal to the idea of genre savviness that ah it annoyed me that's a turns out there's something about this film that annoys me so make a note of that ah i kind of liked the involuntary flying but i also kind of thought they it was sort of dumb and yeah, I don't understand why it turned off when they dragged him in through the window. Yeah, it was just like 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 a uh, light switch as soon as he came through the window. Um, and I guess maybe that. I mean, see, there's a there's some there's some clumsy fucking come of age metaphors you could run with here, like like the involuntary flying could be a kind of like you know budding sexual awareness. But Jason Patrick's character is kind of too old for that. Like that. Yeah, is he supposed to? He's just, I, you know their, their mom says just like you know wait till school starts. You won't have like you know you won't be all over the place now. And I don't understand how old Jason Patrick's supposed to be because he looks like he shouldn't. He looks like he's out of high school. He's got yeah. You know, he's got more stubble than your average high schooler would. Yeah, and I, I think the film wants him to be like 17, 18, something like that. Like, he's like almost yeah, I, done with high I, school he's probably. He was born in 66, so he was 21, uh, or like 20 or 21 when this movie, and he looks 20 or 21. Yeah. I don't know if he would be. Um, well, that may be another case of like maybe. I don't know. I think he was doing okay career wise at that point, so it may be sort of like, oh, let's get Jason Patrick because, yeah, he'd be great. 
And you said you did read that some that that half of one thing somewhere saying maybe they rewrote it to be more about like you know teens. So maybe this is maybe this is partly a victim of actual script meddling, and and maybe something made more sense uh, earlier on in the process. I don't know. I'd be kind of curious to know if there's any fucking excuse for this. Basically, <laughs> uh, I like that Grandpa has the old ass truck with a novelty horn that doesn't work well. That he hits when he arrives at his own house for some reason anyway, just to set it up for the end of the movie. And it plays La Cucaracha. Yeah, it plays a, a, a badly tuned La Cucaracha. And then at the end of the film, so like, yeah, he honks it when he arrives. He honks it when he leaves. He just honks it to establish it as a sound cue so then he can honk it at the end of the movie when he drives through the wall of his own house. Uh, it's, it's basically what I'm taking from the repeated use of it in the film. So this is one thing they did tie back in. But it's like, it's so... Who honks their novelty horn when they get their own house? I think if you're the kind of person who would own a purchase, have installed, and continue to own a novelty horn, you would be honking that thing at every opportunity. Yeah, maybe so. And and again, I, if I'm going to say I like Grandpa because he's kind of a weird asshole, I can kind of get behind that. But it just feels kind of samey. To me, like I feel like Grandpa would be would try and mix it up a little bit more with his assholery rather than just saying, "Oh, oh. so I got a novelty horn." Yeah. So, uh, hang on. The first screenplay written by Janice Fisher and James Jeremias was about a bunch of Goonies type fifth, sixth grade kid vampires with the Frog Brothers as chubby eight year old Cub Scouts and Star appearing as a boy instead of a love interest, and then. Uh, Joel Schumacher hated the material and averred that he would only sign on if he changed the character to teenagers, believing this would be sexier and more interesting. Well, um, he did acquire the part where it changed, at least. I'm a lot sure. of people at the studio didn't think you could mix horror and humor, says Joel Schumacher, and I can't imagine he had proved them wrong with this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Apparently, maybe, uh, the Frog Brothers were named after Edgar Allan Poe. Well, clearly, is Edgar and Allen. I just didn't I know what did, the Frog... I did not put that together. Oh, man. That was that was did like the one thing I sort together. of halfway give the film credit for. Is like That's like the fact that they did that and then didn't explain it. I was like, okay. That's a nice little nod, at least. I, I can get behind that. Michael, where and when did Michael acquire a fucking torch when he goes back into the cave <laughs> later? Like, he shows up waving around a serious fucking torch, and I don't remember any torch discussion or any torches. Yeah, earlier this wasn't in the film. like a makeshift torch. This was, yeah, this was, you know. This was like some fucking gothic horror shit. <laughs> into the cave with Jim Morrison on the wall, so it's not even like it's appropriate. It's just like, you know, caves, torches, yeah. I, so, yeah, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. Maybe like you know, there, there's there's a uh, in the director's cut. There's a scene where Keeper Sutherland is showing him around. Then he just opens up like, and it's like, and this is the chest where we keep the torches, just in case. Well, and um, okay, so I noticed I watched this on Netflix, and it said special edition. It did say special. It was an edition. hour and thirty seven minutes. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm assuming there's probably a little bit of stuff like you know restored or edited differently from whatever the non special edition was. It didn't feel. Like, I'm kind of wondering if some of the little things that annoyed me that they were sort of repeating was like, oh, and we brought back this footage that we couldn't use originally, and so we have this scene twice, you know, or something like that. But, like, yeah, it feels like that torch feels like something that would have showed up in some footage that didn't quite make the cut. And so maybe it was something that was in the non-special edition. It's like, let's make it more special. Let's make the torch mysterious. Yeah, I'm Uh, trying to see if there's something I could find. Um, uh, Let me see. I'm looking at the DVD, the the, the review of, of the of the DVD, and it's not saying anything about like it being a different cut. Um, 
maybe it's just a proper uh, full frame or, or, or yeah, wide frame be release because it was actually a, a nice wide cinematic. Uh, yeah. Barring so. Yeah, I mean, it looked great. It 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 looked um like well, it looked a, good. like a, it was. It was. I mean, yeah, it did not look like I was not looking at it in like a good quality like HD version of it. Yeah. Um. There, there there's a scene with a. Uh, Oh, oh, hang on. I was watching something. I last weekend I showed you know we, we uh, my wife and I watched um, Mortal Kombat and then uh, and then I was just like well have you see she's just like this movie is terrible I'm like the sequel's worse she's like that can't possibly be true and then we started watching the sequel and just could not get through it because it was just <laughs> so much worse but what happened was I had found like a, a stream of it that I was at like you know. Um, like 480p or something, and I'm just like, oh, let me find a different one. And I found one that was at 720, and it made the movie worse because it was just the like the the bad costuming was no longer blurry. It was oh, you know a good yeah. sharp relief that you could see how crappy everything was. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a okay. This is this is just uh, another example of the total mishmash of this fucking film. At one point. Uh, Corey Haim is going to like sleep in his mom's room uh, and for one thing there's like I have a really hard time getting a read on his emotional age and his corresponding age I guess because I, I would really peg him yeah. as being probably like 14-ish something is probably what his character definitely is definitely like film. well beyond like the can I sleep in your room thing. yeah uh so and, and you know whatever you know maybe maybe they just have a weird relationship and you know he's supposed to be a little bit maybe emotionally on edge because of the divorce and his dad not being around or whatever. And I mean, but like I think as far as his emotionally it shows, he's also kind of like still eye rolly about like his brother finding women attractive. So yeah, yeah. There's sort of a and again maybe this is maybe this ties back to that whole earlier script thing. Some of that just didn't get rewritten as much as it should have been from like because you know if he was like. Nine or ten, I could sort yeah, of buy that a little bit to- more. Yeah, yeah, total sense. But like he is, yeah. like he is at an age where you know, um, he should be, you know, probably having some sort of a urge for something. Yeah. And, and, but but he's he, so he's wearing a giant necklace of garlic under his bathrobe, and she's yeah. like, "This is." This is unworkably dumb. Like, obviously, this is not going to work. You can't actually pull one over on your mom by hiding the giant chain of garlic under a bathrobe for more is than like ten Is it in like seconds. hiding a coffee maker in the closet in Friday the Thirteenth territory? I don't. Uh, that's still kind of weirdly savvy to me. I, I've, I've come around on that and decided that I at least I like that. This was just stupid. I don't know that 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 was that was like bizarre, but in sort of like a I don't know dream logic sort of way almost. Uh, but also, as we found out from the the documentary, inspired by a guy who actually did that. Yeah. Uh, whilst, so uh, I guess I'm giving a little more credit for that too, because like, what the hell? Anyway, there's a big sexy montage between uh, uh, brother Michael and uh, and Star, which seems like partly her attempt to avoid having to tell him that he's a vampire, even though like everybody except apparently him knows he's like a vampire at this point. And and like you know the audience knows, Star knows, Star knows he's not going to not be one, and so it's just like a weird sort of stalling. And then we get like the big sexy thing and the sexy cloud flying metaphor, which was just not really. I don't think I don't think it helped the film's case on the sexiness of the situation to shoot some clouds. 
uh, and what was it supposed to be Michael, you know, losing his virginity, or was it just supposed to be some particularly good vampire sex? You know? Yeah, it was. Um, the, it, it was. It was shot in that manner that uh, Wolf Cop was had, had made fun of so <laughs> so effortlessly, um, and it's just you know it just very very much reminded me of why Wolf Cop had such an easy time making fun of this kind of sex scene. Yeah, was because it was you know like it's like all right you know well, let's get the the Vaseline on the camera. And you know, throw up some gauze in places, and you know, slow it down by by about half. It was, um, yeah, that was. I, what, I, I don't think it was supposed to be implying that 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 he was losing his virginity, but I think it was implying that he was just like you know, this is like you know a a a big deal for him for no reason that the movie has made clear. Yeah, just like ran, randomly transcendent, like, or maybe Joel Schumacher just was like, hey, I really want people to understand how great this sex is. I just wanted to really. It's just like this is cloud sex. This is cloud level sex. That's that's what we're trying to convey here. And so it's like, how do we convey that, Joel? He's like, let's use some clouds. Let's put some clouds in the movie. And they just ran with it. I don't know. That's probably what he talks like, right? And he says clouds. That's starting to get a little bit Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> clouds. Put the clouds in the movie. Um, yes. Okay. So here's a random theory. There's a line at one point where Michael says, "Where's Star, David?" Star ah. David, Star of David. This is actually a subtextual musing on the historical othering of Jews. Is what this movie is about. So, run they with that. Probably would have gone better than making the Jews vampires. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's that's the whole thing. Is the idea that like uh, Michael Michael represents? Uh, yeah, I don't. I I have nowhere I can go with this. That isn't terrible. <laughs> but I was kind of you yeah. know maybe someone will come up with something. Yeah. I really like the scene where they all went dangling off of the bridge. Um, I thought that was just like sort of adorably like camaraderie building where they're just like, all right, you're one of us now Do this stupid thing. And then they all just sort of like really nonchalantly drop off this bridge and catch the uh, catch the things and then just equally nonchalantly fall off. And it's they don't really make it clear what happens when they fell off, because, you know, the next thing it's like you get sort of like this artsy. Uh, cut to him like in bed, as if he had like yeah. fallen into the bed. Yeah, he falls. I mean, but that's falls clearly not what happened. The, yeah, yeah. So and, was and, he flying? I think he was clearly flying because we've established that he's having trouble not accidentally flying at this point in the film. I believe because uh, yeah, we'd already got had the accidental flying. We know they're vampires. We know that yeah. they fly because we keep getting these perspective shots of them apparently murdering people by flying to them. So it's like there was like no tension for me like I was no question in my mind that this was anything other than guys who can fly setting themselves up to fall and then fly with a guy that they know can do the same thing you know so it's like I don't know if you felt like they're I mean I think I think while now I'm remembering like while he was falling in the fog there's like a a momentary scene where it looks like he's sort of like gaining some level of control over it but then it stops and he keeps falling yeah I'm not sure I think uh, yeah yeah I don't know I don't know. I really, I don't fucking know. I mean, your 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 reference to the idea of magical realism, I would like to be able to get behind that because I think that would explain some of the stuff in the film if they had actually been going for sort of like a dreamy, intentionally sort of metaphorical take on this stuff. And again, maybe if this was really more focused on some sort of finding of self, coming of age, you know. Uh, sort of teen existential drama sort of thing consistently, that might have really worked. I don't know. I don't know if it would have been a great film, but it would have been less frustrating to me, I'm sure. 
but this scene we're talking about, I think would have worked a lot better there than it would have in this actual movie where there's no fucking tension because we know he's not going to die because he can fly because he's a vampire because they're all vampires, which is really, really clearly established. So, like, he's scared and we can understand the idea that he's scared because this isn't necessarily knowledge he has and he's still coming to grips with stuff. But as a viewer, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not identifying with your terror at this mistaken appre- apprehension of your impending death. I'm just sort of like, okay, where are we going with this? Let's get on with it. You know, it's like there was nothing to really bite into in that scene. So I, I mean, I agree Uh-oh. with you. Ha ha ha! Have I not been doing that all all, all episode? Uh, but yes, no, I, I kind of agree with you with the the basic shape of the screen, the, the goofy, hey, let's do something stupid thing. Like I I, I I get that, and I sort of see where they're going with it. But I, I feel like it didn't actually work in the film I was actually watching by the time that happened, uh, I guess is my complaint. I would like to see a supercut of every utterance of the word Michael in this movie. Michael. Yeah, Mike. like- I, I like that the one vampire st- like starts a a chant when they're trying to get him to drink the, 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 the blood from the fancy wine bottle, yeah. but nobody picks it up. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's just him <laughs> saying sort of Michael, but he doesn't give up. He's, yeah, no, you know, he's, he's not like embarrassed out of it. He's just, you know, he's just like, oh, everybody else must be too wrapped in the moment. I, I got to keep it up myself. Yeah, I'm going to keep up the I'll tempo. I'll take one for the team, I, I guess. Think, I think that's what it means to be a vampire is once, once you understand that you've got all the time in the world, uh, you're just willing to just run with your, your ideas and you don't care if other people get on board. You're just, you're a true individual at that point. You're, you're a real American cowboy something, something. I don't know. Uh, I like that there's an implication in this movie that the way you make friends when you move into a new town is by finding a bunch of dicks and being a dick to them until they accept you. Yeah, that's basically kind of what happens simultaneously for both of the kids. Although yep. Corey Haim seems a little bit less like he's actually trying to make it work. He kind of seems like he's actually like, hey, you know, fuck you guys talking to me like you're trying to establish some sort of human... You know, connection with someone new to town. Go, yeah, it's they're sort dick, of like know? it's they're they're definitely like implied to be like him and the Frog Brothers are sort of implied to be at like different maturity scales because you could see him and he's like you know developing he's he's like he's stylish basically and he's you know he's got this attitude and they still feel like kids who are like playing at being soldiers even though they sort of actually are and it feels like he's past that and maybe they're trying to play him off as cooler than them because of that but yeah, it, but it, it doesn't, doesn't work yeah, that he doesn't well. come off remotely cool is the problem and he doesn't come off all that much more emotionally uh, well adjusted he's just like a different yeah. flavor of clown in the film yeah. and that and that that that's a whole big thing there the, the frog brothers with the goddamn thing where they're simultaneously incredibly ridiculous and also sort of the actual competent sources in this whole thing I mean Corey Feldman basically for the second half of the film never stops doing a gruff sort of Rambo-ish you know growl with every single line he delivers and it's all super straight faced and they are in fact straight up attempting to murder some vampires and like you know actually making a semi-successful effort to do so but at the same time they're portrayed as these ridiculously goofy out of touch you know sort of fantasizing kids and it's really Again, it's so weird and inconsistent. Like, there's nothing interesting about the inconsistency. It's just like two different things are happening here with the same characters, and I don't know why. I don't know how the film decided this. This is definitely the line we want to try and walk with here. Let's make them both unbelievable as mercenaries, 
and not really believable as literally out of their depth morons who just think that they're murdering vampires. You know, it's it's like this film, the end of this film is the best thing that could ever happen to them maybe, but we don't even get anything interesting there where they have a realization about the nature of things. Like at best, we could be watching a couple of mostly wildly deluded, violent, you know, young psychopaths being given the impression that they are correct in all of the bad ideas that they're walking around with because they happen to run in the one situation where they can murder some people and it doesn't turn out to be something that they go to prison forever for. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like, like, who are these characters? What are we supposed to get from these, these kids? I think, I think we're missing a, a, a bit of the context for, like, the way the kids behave because of, like, they, they make, like, the whole, it's like, oh, yeah, my parents are hippies too sort of thing a significant part of the movie because, you know, you get those lines and then you also get, like, those, those shots of the people that we, I guess we are assuming are uh, the Frog Brothers' parents who are just, like, literally passed out hippies. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm wondering if it's like that sort of like reactionary kind of, uh, family ties thing where it's just like, you know, we're watching the, um, it's like, you know, th- this is, this is what happens to like the, the, the children of, um, incredibly earnest hippies is that they, they, you know, this is, th- this is what becomes of them. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and it's sort of like, you know, it's like that they're not, not really their fault, but like, I, I think there is like a, a, a cultural expectation for what the children of hippies ended up like that maybe we don't have the entire context for just because it's so out of our maybe, you know out of our maybe, time yeah. currently. I don't know. And as maybe having just an obsession with like, I mean like Feldman's clearly got a Rambo sort of thing going on with the head yeah. and, and so as sort of like maybe just a nod to the idea of the cultural influence of like, you know, late seventies and eighties action films. As as being like you say as different yeah. as it could be from you know sort of hippieism of the the late sixties early seventies maybe yeah. I don't know I don't know I don't fucking know and you know like the the Frog Brothers like make a big like you know they they take the the Superman line that they're you know they're fighting for truth justice in the American way yeah which I think is just like you know at that you know like two hippie parents that would be a sort of not acceptable ideal to follow to like you know if, if you're going with like you know the the hippie you know pacifist anti-war kind of parents that um you know yeah, but you superman's not say, even the most objectionable direction you could go there no no not know? not by you know not by any means but i, yeah. I think like that like the the I mean, american way part is supposed to be yeah. um you know uh <laughs> I was about to say it's like you know like like McCarthy is sort of thing it's like no that's that that can't be I, I you know maybe maybe that's the thing maybe the vampires are in fact uh the new wave of communist infiltrators oh that could be this yeah this is the the wall was still up this was eighty seven this is this you know it is in Santa Clara that like the last gasps of the cold war fought yes exactly between uh you know American uh, American vampire hunters and and you know vampires. Yes, but well, super yeah. cool vampires. Well, when they say you know, you know, uh, I'm totally failing to produce the uh, the old you know uh, so- socialist uh, maxim about you know from according to their ability you know to according to their need. They're talking about blood. Like they're redist- <laughs> it's the, they're redistributing. Uh, platelets rather than wealth you know they're seizing the means of red cell production 
that's a thing. Why, why aren't why aren't vampires like super into bone marrow? Seems like seems like you could just cut straight to the chase there, you know. Like 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 why why go sucking the blood out of? I mean, I guess maybe to some extent a human is a pretty decent autonomous blood generation machine. Whereas like if you're going to deal with a marrow, but it feels like it feels like that should like be a thing. Marrow seems like it I think be maybe they just didn't evolve to do that. Maybe, maybe. Like I think you know if they 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 can take bones and you know like get the marrow out of them in the same way that we do with you know like cow bones and eat it like that. But I don't think they are as set up to to go to to do that as they are to you know drink blood. What if that was the cure for vampirism? Was just a full on marrow. marrow transplant? Oh. Like maybe that's why vampires drink blood. It's not because they need blood in some mystical way to survive it's because they literally need blood and are you know through the weird immunocompromise that is uh vampirism you know they're incapable of producing their own blood and so if we could just get them a nice you know solid you know bone marrow transplant they could sort of get back to you know not being supernatural creatures of the night or as Corey says uh shit-sucking vampires my own brother a goddamn shit-sucking Vampire or something. So like maybe that. he has no idea how vampires work, and that comic books were like a big help. Maybe because maybe. maybe that line. I, I, I could like, have shit sucking. It, it could be like some goddamn blood sucking shit stained vampires. I, I, it was a long line. You're like a somebody at his old school played like a prank on him by telling <laughs> him that like remember? vampires yeah, actually they, they, they suck shit. Poop. Yeah, and maybe nobody bothered to correct. And him. that's why he's so he's like he doesn't really care about the whole creature of the night thing. He doesn't really care about the vampirism. He just really has serious poop issues, and so he's freaked out about the vampires because he thinks they're going to like steal his poop or something. <laughs> and that's that's and 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 he won't say anything about. it. He won't explain it because he kind of knows that it's a weird thing but you know he's still super worked up about it. that's that's probably what it is yep. uh okay i have an i have another theory and this is this is the one that i like more because i think it works to explain uh a lot of the oddness in this film uh especially the oddness with trying to really peg down what the actual age and level of like emotional and sexual development we have going on with Corey Haim and with jason patrick's characters uh, I don't think either of them really exists. I think Lucy has one son who is struggling with some weird combination of developmental arrestment and uh, mental illness. And this is really a film that is sort of a figurative, att- you know, a story of this mother's attempt to care for her uh, special needs child and accommodate his uh, strange mental landscape and also maybe new older kids in the town they moved to taking advantage of his sort of adult suggestibility. And so it's this weird big sort of thing where we're really seeing various shards of his sort of internal view of the world that none of them really quite fit and they're all sort of weird aspects of his personality rather than any of them being real coherent characters. So the Frog Brothers are sort of representing this internalized sense of like wartime metaphor that he doesn't really understand and maybe he's more like Michael's age and has some of Michael's physical characteristics but maybe he's, Corey Haim represents more some of his uh, arrested emotional development and that's why we have this weird combination of everything running from sort of like you know vaguely infantile uh, screaming and panicking and wanting to sleep with mom all the way up to 
this intense, you know, sense of sexual attraction towards Star and all that. So it's all just it's all this great big muddled ball of something that we're just getting this strange prismatic view into with these weird characters. And that's why none of them work and they say super dumb things that sound like someone would write if they were desperately trying to sound more in character than they were actually capable of being. It's because, you know, none of it makes sense because it's all just rolling around in a, a snow globe in Tommy Westfall's living room. Hmm. Is this part of the uh, that verse? What is yeah, it, that, the, that, uh, yeah, basically Michael, Michael and Corey are in fact Tommy Westfall. This is a movie about Tommy Westfall moves to Santa Clara with his mom whose name let's assume was Lucy in uh, St. Elsewhere. Diane Weiston saying elsewhere? No, I have no idea. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just declaring it so. Oh, <laughs> I like her. She's great. She's yeah. great. Max is great. Again, like I liked both of them better than everybody else in the entire movie. You know, as so, I, I kind of would have been happy watching like a weird horror comedy about them attempting to have some budding relationship, and also there's vampires. I could have gotten on board with that. That that I think would have worked just fine, even if it was goofy. But yeah, at one point Max had Corey, and it looks like he could have just snapped his neck, and I was just rooting for it. Yes, I was, I was just so I yes. Please let's let's go dark. Let's let's just finish this off. Right. Kill the child. Kill yeah. the child. Speaking of dark, Dark City, co-starring Kiefer Sutherland, also had a sort of mid-air grappling scene in its climax. So oh, I, yeah. like I wonder that. if this is where they decided to do it for the prophecy, and then just it turned into what it turned into <laughs> in the prophecy, which was That's some right. sort of bizarre angelic martial art that made no sense. Yep. Who was it? Uh, what was the, the 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 movie with the the gun kata the equilibrium? Yes, I feel like maybe and maybe we've had this discussion, but I feel like the the midair angelic martial arts thing from Prophecy should totally be married to the gun kata stuff from Equilibrium and just turn it all into one. Would that single... be like the the grappling part of it, which is always has to be done in midair? Yeah, 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 yeah. So combine those into one single epic, really terrible movie. Uh, with inexplicable uh, culture of martial arts in it. Have you seen Ultraviolet? I have not. The The movie made after Equilibrium that was kind of like the follow-up. It was so bad, I don't think they ever made him let him make a movie again. Oh, wow. No, I did not. <laughs> now I kind of... Maybe I should. I mean, I was really it's, annoyed at Equilibrium, so being able to like double down on that sounds like a good use Yeah, it's imagine everything bad about Equilibrium, uh, but worse. Wow, wow. Uh, it was... Oh, they made an anime after it. Kurt Wimmer. Let me see. Has he... Oh, he's made actually a couple of things. Oh, no, he's been... No, they haven't let him direct a movie since that one. He's only been a writer since then. Ah. Um, yep. Well, he's written down some ideas that I could see going somewhere, so maybe that's an okay way to go. Maybe just don't let him... Yeah, a lot of his ideas are, are, are good on paper. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, I don't remember if we talked about this, but I, I think maybe the deal with Equilibrium was that it just, like it really suffered from not coming together as well as it should have. And so they ended up not using or doing a bunch of stuff that they were going to, that would make it maybe seem slightly less fucking dumb. Like maybe way too much of the effort and resources went into developing this gun kata idea and not so much into actually blocking and choreographing it in a good way. I don't know. 
I don't remember what it was. At this point, I'm vaguely possibly summarizing you from a previous podcast episode, so I probably shouldn't <laughs> dig in too deep on that. But uh, anyway, my excitement to talk about even other bad films that are not this one probably uh, says something about my my feelings. I, w- I want to say when they were infusing holy water with garlic and then loading squirt guns with it, that struck me as probably the, the most hipsterish ish thing you could take out of this. Like, like I can imagine instead this being something happening with some 20-somethings in tight jeans uh, in Williamsburg dealing with vampires. It would be that exact same process, you know, with a little bit more care and thought put into, like, you know, sourcing the ingredients. Where did all that garlic come from? There was a lot uh, of fucking Yeah, there garlic. was a lot of garlic. I, I like the holy water scene when they just, like, break into a church during a baptism to, you know, get holy water out of the thing and then just leave. Yep. Everybody's staring at them. They just sort of wave. That was – see, and, and again, like, in the version of this movie that's actually a straight-up Goonies riff, mm-hmm. yes, boom, there you go. That, that That's a great screwball scene. It just uh. – in summary, I thought this was a great movie and everyone should see it. This movie was uh, awful. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's about all I got. I mean, it's yeah, it's I'm it, I'm I am as well basically tapped out on Lost Boys. I suggest everybody go see it. Josh probably doesn't. I I suggest everybody get real drunk or high or whatever and watch it. I, it's not a again, it's not a bad oh, thing well, yeah, to yeah, have Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I I yeah, definitely just, that. Just just well. it's 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 a terrible piece of film craft. If you're trying to look at something and say, this is a good movie, this is an example of why people should make and watch movies, this is not that. This is this is a addled, confused, inconsistent pile of bizarre crap with this a lot of, of bad dialogue. This is the kind of turn on and then you make it clear that it's okay to yell at it. Yeah, yeah. No, this would be fun to watch with other people who also are willing to have a slightly bad attitude about it. I would probably enjoy that a lot, but... Uh, yeah, just not not nearly as good as my relatively low expectations of a dim impression of it as a 1980s uh, vampire film were. So there you go. I'm I'm awfully grumpy about it. <laughs> well, at least the sunstroke seems to be coming off. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm winding down a little bit now. Equaling, e- e- I'm finding my equilibrium, if you if you will. Yeah. Now that I'm yeah. being less influenced by those ultraviolet rays. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's back. I got it. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll figure out what we're going to watch next, uh, next fortnight. Maybe something yep. that I have a stronger sense of expecting to like. We'll, we'll figure out something one way or the other. We'll go back over some of the suggestions folks have made. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah, do the stuff. Visit the things. Say hello to us on Facebook and all that. And, yeah, vote and us up on iTunes. And there's Tumblr and, and Twitter, which I haven't been using too much, but it exists. It is there. It, um, it, it does and, exist. Uh, yeah, and, you know, always uh, feel free to give us suggestions for movies. Um, we listen to them sometimes. And thoughts on why we're totally wrong about the stuff we're running our mouths about, because uh, we usually yeah, are Yeah, yeah, the bigger of, of an argument you can get into on our Facebook group, the, <laughs> the, the, the more we will appreciate just, you as fans. Just it's br- not... Just bring it to town. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not fragile, like, emotionally compromised uh, pastiche Corey Haim in this film. <sighs> right. <laughs> I'll stop talking about it. Good talk to you, sir. Yep, that was a good, uh, good episode, and good night, everybody.